One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Do you see any sound happening? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Am I getting through? Yeah, we're on. <clears throat> Namaste to all of you. Tonight, I first uh, thought about the fact that every time when we do Easter meditation and any time when we do Christmas meditation, but it is more uh, relevant for Easter, that we are trying to explain time and again this story about the Christ consciousness in the meaning of what did this resurrection of Christ mean? Why did it bring the Christ consciousness forth with Jesus, in Jesus? And I thought that uh, every time when we meet, for example, Sunday at 12 o'clock to do the Easter meditation, now coming now soon, the Orthodox Easter, I would like to make sure that people know what they are meditating upon. If we were doing in some years a midnight meditation or trying to correspond somehow to midnight or to whichever, an evening meditation on Saturday evening, if before the Easter, the Orthodox Easter, there is this holy fire ceremony, this holy fire meditation, I would have liked to make sure that people know exactly what we are talking about what we are celebrating, and how relevant it is, like how to understand this thing from a yogic standpoint. I have done um, for a long time satsangs with the words of Jesus, with the teachings of Jesus taken from the Bible. I have almost finished the third of the Gospels, and I received requests from people to continue to finish this gospel um, because for many people the attitude of Jesus this super vira attitude of Jesus that he is direct powerful uncompromising he is not trying to be politically correct in any way and uh, for many people, this has the exact sound of the truth, of, the, of God's truth, which even when it is uncomfortable, it has to be said. And um, that's why I would like to talk a little bit more now with the hope that maybe we can record this satsang and make it available so people will always see it, will have the possibility to see it before... We do a Christ-like sphere of consciousness, meditation, or others like that. You see, the resurrection is pretty unique in spirituality. And it's not because the resurrection as idea 
is not mentioned because it is mentioned. There are different deities and different myths where resurrection does happen, like Osiris in Egyptian mysticism is um, somehow built back from the pieces of his body, a la Dr. Frankenstein's uh, zombie, and he is brought back. And there are other stories, but they are highly symbolic. They do not refer to a person who lived on earth and who was resurrected in a divine way. Also, we have examples of people who were thought to be dead, and either they woke up in a coffin and it was too late, or they woke up before being put in a coffin, and then it was just scary. I remember when I was doing a tour of conferences in Mexico many years ago, I was driven to the airport by a taxi driver who was a gringo. He was an American who lived in Mexico. He ran away from America because he didn't want to be part of the American society, of the American culture, so to speak. This man had been a Vietnam veteran. And he, he was... This produced a big change in him, but the change was partly of a spiritual nature, because he had been hit by a bomb, a brand, a something, a mortar, something, and he was declared dead. He was put in a body bag, and he was put somewhere to be taken home to America or buried in a graveyard. Like he was put in a cold storage place. Well, because in a tropical place like Vietnam, you cannot let the bodies lie at this temperature. It would be the same temperature as we have here in Thailand. And so he was put in a cold storage place. And I forgot how many days later he came back to his senses. He was not dead. He was in a clinical death and he had been lying in a body bag either for nine days or for 11 days. I forgot, like incredibly much, way more than Lazarus and so on, you know. And he came back. So this was the resurrection of Mr. Jones. But it's not a resurrection. It's not the same thing. Neither the fact that Osiris was stitched back by, I don't know which goddess, his sister, and was made back, which is a pure myth. Nor the fact that a guy hit by a brand in the Vietnam War uh, came back and he was actually not dead after 11 days. And he had no brain damage. He had no, like, there was a whole medical miracle happening there with that guy. Exactly in the same way, we have to realize that what is happening in the case of Jesus is a purely divine, purely metaphysical, purely magical phenomenon, which has to do with his mission, and it has to do with his very special state of consciousness. Of course, we know from the very beginning that Jesus declared himself to be coming from above. So he was not one hundred billion souls which keep reincarnating on this planet and they are doing their evolution here. Jesus was not a soul in evolution. For example, Buddha 
was a soul in evolution. He was able to describe his previous life, his previous lives, and Buddha, you know, claimed that he, before becoming a Buddha, he had had 10,000 lifetimes or something. So Buddha was a spirit that slowly, slowly reached to Buddhahood, reached to perfection. Whatever level that perfection is having from a metaphysical standpoint, that's irrelevant at this point. But the point being that Jesus was something else. And for that something else, there is a name in the Indian spirituality, which is the name of Avatara, descent. He was a divine spirit coming in a human body. Even the events related with his birth were very miraculous and very unusual. And um, a lot of things can be said there, but we don't have time tonight to go there. Now we look at the end of the life. And of course, we realize that for such a high spirit, when he was tested, because he was tested, even his, even Jesus was tested. So then what can we say about ourselves? You know, will we be tested? Surely many times and in various ways. If Jesus was tested, there's absolutely no hope that anybody in this world will escape untested. If you are untested, it's a very bad sign. It's like God forgot about you or like the evolution, Mother Nature forgot about you in one way or another. So, of course, there will be tests. Not all the tests are unpleasant. Not all the tests are painful. Not all the tests are dangerous. There are tests and tests. In the case of Jesus, this test was huge. Like it was appropriate for his status that Jesus himself was huge. And it's exactly like the question, what do you give to the man who already has everything? Well, he was transformed, he was given the status of being the Christ. So we all know, this I have said many times, and I don't want to repeat this, don't think I'm going to do the same lecture which you have heard, those of you who have been in uh, Easter meditations or in Christmas meditations, because I'm not going to truly describe the Christ-like state of consciousness. Briefly, that is a sort of equivalent of the Bodhisattvic vow from the Mahayana Buddhism, where basically it shows that the person has a double spirituality, a vertical spirituality which connects to the absolute, and the horizontal spirituality which connects to the world, which connects to the manifestation. So, this you already know, more, many people already know. If not, uh, I'm sure that there are other lectures, other satsangs in which I have described uh, those things. Now I'm looking strictly at the sacrificial process for Jesus. Because he is suddenly called the Lamb of God. We all remember that there was the habit of offering lamps to God. And to offer those lamps to God, they were burned. They were burned totally. They were burned to ashes so as to give everything from that essence to God. 
it's sometimes almost looked upon like a barbaric ritual inherited from the old phases, not only of the Jewish religion, but many other religions had animal sacrifices, offerings of different kinds and so on. And uh, actually Jesus did not blame people for doing that. It's true, people were sometimes exaggerating with exchanging money, selling animals right in the entrance of the temple and making a mess out of it and distracting the people from prayer, from the sacred attitude which they had to have. Like the marketplace should have been left a little bit further away from the temple so it didn't come with its frequency and with the, uh, its disturbance right in the temple there. But the fact in itself that people were making offerings to God, we are given in movies like Franco Zeffirelli that when he was a kid, even Jesus was given a lamb by his parents to buy and to give to the priests when he was 12 years old or something to make his first offering to God. Jesus could not condemn a religion which had been there for couple of thousands of years, and which was created by Abraham and Moses and great patriarchs. No, because that was correct. That was the level of humanity at that time. But then Jesus himself is called the Lamb of God. Even John the Baptist, when he sees him first, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take upon himself of the world. And therefore... Here, Jesus is proposing a new thing, like there will be a new kind of redemption. You don't really need to literally take a lamb and burn it. Now Jesus is the lamb, but this substitution, when he does the Last Supper, no, it's Thursday. Today is the great Thursday in the Orthodox Christianity. It's the Thursday of the Last Supper. It's the evening of the Last Supper. And this magic... Because it is a magic, it starts at the Last Supper, where Jesus breaks bread and he says, this is my body, eat it. No, like instead of eating lamb or instead of eating some other substitutes, now you eat me. And I am bread. The bread can become like me. And then he gives red wine and he says, drink, this is my blood. Like the flesh and the blood which are going to be given to God, now it's renewed. We have gone to the next level. We have gone to a level where it becomes symbolic because it's bread and wine, which stands for flesh and blood, and that flesh and blood belongs to the Lamb of God. He is called the Lamb of God because although he was very intolerant from his mouth, like he spoke the truth, denouncing everything which he saw that was not right, he was never really aggressive. Exception made of the episode when he was in the temple and he just rolled down the money changers' desks and so on, and he said, come on, man, you've come with this right in the temple. You know, like, go 100 meters away. You know, stay somewhere else. Don't pollute the temple. But except that, which was a sort of a physical strong action, he never encouraged violence of any kind, punishment, on the contrary. Always, always, always he encouraged forgiveness and mercy and all the things of the heart, 
which you know. And therefore, there is a substitution. Jesus substitutes himself. Like the Jews were practicing the ritual of the scapegoat. No, but Jesus is the lamb. He is the scapegoat. He is everything. No, like he takes upon himself everything. This taking upon himself, we can compare it with other rituals, but taking upon oneself is always very tough. No, we have Shiva who was given the poison of the universe because the universe was in grave danger. And then Shiva swallowed the poison of the universe and the poison of the universe was so terrible that his Vishuddha chakra, his throat became blue. Shiva Nilkant, Shiva who is the consort of Tara, yeah, a Shiva with Vishuddha chakra, Shiva the one with blue neck. There you can see that in Vishuddha chakra, in that Vishuddha chakra, you have the creation and the dissolution. You have the nectar and you have the poison. There you have something which transcends the good and the evil, the duality between it, because God has a provision, you know, like there is bitterness in the universe, and we generally think, you know, if there is a hill, after it there must come a valley. If there is a yang, then there must be a yin after it. If there is pleasure, there must be pain. But what if we can give the pain to God back? Simply saying, you gave me this and this and this, I have nothing to do with it. I can as well refuse it. Can you please take it back? And then it will go in the throat of Shiva and it will become like the poison of the universe does not need to be manifested because we do not live in a mechanical universe. We do not live in a universe where there must be 50% joy and 50% pain, 50% light and darkness. A part of it can be held, can be held like in a storage somewhere. No? Therefore, people are always advised, what is good? Choose the morality, choose the light, choose the pleasure, choose the things which are good. And people say, but isn't there going to be pain inevitably? Not if you believe in a divine consciousness that can administer these things. No? And thus, Jesus is coming and proposing to us this model of the universe in which he drinks the poison of the universe, he sacrifices, and everybody else should stick to the good things. Of course, people did not do that life, nor after his life. Neither the Christians nor the non-Christians, nobody really did that. The fact that there could have been thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people who were influenced by the example of Jesus and they tried to be better, of course, that is true. Like We cannot say that what he did was useless, but we are simply saying that what Jesus did was, to a large extent, symbolic, magic. It had something to do with the human condition, Re regenerating the human condition. So on one hand, for Jesus, that meant that he became the Christ. Here is the Buddha Bodhisattva Avatara, 
who loves humanity so much because he knows that he is humanity. He knows that humanity is just an extension of that divine consciousness that he is ready to sacrifice for it because planet Earth, and not only planet Earth, but planet Earth in this case, we discuss about our concrete case here, planet Earth is like a project. It's the cherished project of God. God has created this project. And each and every soul who incarnates on this planet is part of the project of God. And God has a plan. And he's trying to do so. Of course it is protected in many, many ways and supervised and helped. And Jesus is part of this supervision. Jesus is part of this healing part of this blessing of the planet Earth and each and every one of us. But his sacrifice, precisely because of this, has something magic. Because first of all, it's a sacrifice which has to take a lot of spiritual karma. I have said it many times and I will say it again. Jesus did suffer physically. It's obvious from everything which we see, which described what happened to Jesus on Friday until he was put to death on Thursday evening, the night between Thursday to Friday, when he was judged by the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish priests. And then on Friday morning, when he was taken to Pontius Pilate and to the Herod, to the son, son of Herod and others, uh, Every sign that we have seen that Jesus went into formidable pain. Like Jesus who have done so many miracles, who has helped with so many things, could he have had at least the self-hypnotic power to diminish pain? No, there are people who do some self-hypnosis and then they put a needle through their skin or something and they don't feel it. It's like kindergarten for hypnotherapists to do this. Almost any hypnotherapist studies this in hypnotherapy courses, how to eliminate pain, how to do such thing, how to diminish pain, and so on. You know, like Jesus manifested some siddhis of Ajna Chakra, which are on the level of Maha Siddhis when he raised paralyzed people who never walked in their life or stopped storms or gave sight to the blind, not to mention about the radical ones like getting Lazarus out of his grave after four days. So what I'm trying to say is we all know that Jesus had a lot of power and where was the limit of that power? Nobody has found out yet, like how far it would go. And yet, this man, when he was beaten, when he was flogged, when he was mocked, and when he was crucified, he reacted in agony. He reacted in a very human way. I remember when I was young, I was asking about these things to people who knew metaphysics, my teachers and others. And I was asking, what is so special? Because there have been many martyrs. Even, you know, when you think about uh, some hooligan like Braveheart, you know, the Scottish hero, you know, played by Mel Gibson, he's a martyr. He was caught, he was tortured to death, 
He died agonizingly, and according to the Hollywood movie, he screamed freedom, and so and then he died. No? Like, there have been many martyrs, and some of them might have had a death comparatively painful, or why not even more painful than Jesus's? Because humanity is very talented in administering pain and torture to people. But that will make Jesus just another martyr. So it's not out of proportion. Jesus suffered martyrdom. He was a big-mouthed prophet who spoke a little bit too boldly against the whoever, and they martyrized him, and he died by martyrdom. He is not the first prophet that was murdered. He is not the last prophet that was murdered. No, In the same way, Giordano Bruno said that what the earth is moving around the sun, not the sun is moving around the earth, and the Inquisition burned him at stake or something, and others and others. Then Giordano Bruno is a sort of a Jesus. Far from it. Far from that. Because the sacrifice of Jesus was not a simple martyrdom. The sacrifice of Jesus was this, that he could have set himself free, and he did not. In the Bible, there are two, three episodes where people try to seize him because he had been naughty many times in those three years. And he said, but somehow his time had not come because he sneaked through. Like he practiced some art of invisibility. He practiced some ninja skill or something. Somehow they didn't catch him. Everybody was pissed off at him and say, catch this hippie and kick him in the ass or beat him with stones and somehow they didn't manage somehow the man was slippery like a fish and he somehow eluded them but at the time of the final events he did not use this also he could have used soothing words do you think Jesus had hypnotic abilities could he have hypnotized some of the people who are interrogating him to simply make him see as a nice guy and say, come on, man, this guy is really inoffensive, you know, he's really friendly and uh, everything like that, you know. He could have done many, many things. He didn't do it because he knew that what was happening was part of this violent magic that was happening between divinity and the earth. He could have at least stopped his pain, but he did not. There are people who are either in hypnosis states or others. They get cut. They, they don't feel the pain. They don't bleed. The bleeding stops. Do you think Jesus could have stopped his own bleeding? Do you think he could have taken his own pain? And then there were idiots in front of him who said, if you are the son of God, why do you sit like an idiot on the cross there and you don't set yourself free? The temptation was horrendous. And Jesus did all these things, therefore staying like a human being. I have the suspicion that Jesus was more sensitive than the average human being. So I think some of those pains and some of the torturing and destruction of his divine body, they were bigger than for the average person. So he was not more protected he was less protected than the average person. 
And you can see that, that even the state of divine communion in which he was, seemed to have diminished so much that Jesus complained and he said, My God, my God, why have you left me? Like he felt on the cross, after being on the cross for three hours, he felt like he couldn't feel God. And you can imagine that if there was one person who could feel the divine consciousness, Jesus was such a person, like he was feeling God 24-7. And now he was not feeling it because his body was getting destroyed and he was probably, Jesus died so quickly that in medical terms you'd probably say that he had a septicemic reaction, an infection. It was happening sometimes because those nails were rusty and everything, that some people being crucified, they died quickly. The unfortunate ones, they lasted on the cross for days. And the Roman soldiers even got bored with seeing these people agonizing. And they had a ridiculous practice of breaking their bones so that they will hang only on the arms and suffocate because of asphyxiation. That's why they broke the legs. Because people were supporting themselves on the legs. And then they didn't hang with all their weight on the arms. And so on. So in the case of Jesus, they didn't even need to break his legs because he was dead. You like they were even surprised. This was one of the easy cases. No, but still, those three hours, six hours, whatever they were, scholars can take you home, tell you how many hours Jesus spent on the cross. They were experienced by Jesus with great pain, with great presence, and without any divine anesthesia. All his reactions demonstrate that. I remember when I asked teachers when I was young, they told me that they thought that this was the only way he could truly pay karma. Because, for example, let's say somebody has the karma of having cancer in their stomach. And if they wouldn't be told what to do, they would sooner or later die of that cancer in the stomach, which might become generalized like metastatic, and then it's an agonizing death. And always people who are familiar with cancer, and when this generalized cancer is coming, they tell to the family, man, I think one of these days you'll start praying for him or for her to die. You know, because like life can become so terrible. So what I'm trying to say here is, let's say that not one like Jesus, but one like Swami Shivananda, is coming and healing that cancer. Either by practicing the art of healing, or by practicing naturist healing. Oshava, diet, vamana, every day, da-da-da-da, hundred, those one hundred things, which most of you know. If you think carefully, you know what you would recommend to somebody in this situation. And the cancer stops. But what if the cancer comes to the healer? Well, that cancer was having a function. It never comes for nothing because it was produced by karma. And karma has a function. And that function is, unfortunately, to educate one. It teaches you lessons. So whenever you have produced too much pain, 
it teaches you not to produce pain. A healer is a man or a woman who plays Messiah. But maybe they are not. Maybe they don't have the stature for that. And then if they don't make a proper consecration, if they are not detached, then that karma, or a part of it at least, can come to them. And this thing that you could take uh, another person's karma was not seen before Jesus. But after Jesus, it was seen. For example, in Tibet, they even have proverbs which said the disciples are always killing their gurus. No, but they didn't mean killing them like Brutus killed Caesar. They meant killing them because of accumulation of karma, because the guru is giving them teachings, the guru is giving them advice, the guru is giving them guidance, and at some point, some real shitty karma manifests. And then the guru may be detached and say, it's the dance of Shiva, whatever, kesera, sera, no? Or the guru can have a little bit of an attachment. Like the guru can say, I invested so much in this Walter, I taught him Sanskrit and yoga for the last 10 years, and now he's dying on me because he's got a stomach cancer. I have to do something. And then that cancer or a part of that cancer comes to the healer. And then uh, either the healer, the guru, whoever learns to be really, really detached, but then there is this thing. The disciple had the karma for a certain reason. Now that cancer is taken away. Then the lesson is not there. Then the teacher might try to teach them the lesson. See, you had a cancer, never commit acts of violence or physical pain or something because it will come back to you and that cancer was just around the corner, was just about to get you. So I hope you learned your lesson. Will the disciple learn the lesson? A superior disciple, probably yes. A baboon disciple, probably not. And therefore, the lesson was lost. And then the masters of the karma, or those from Shambhala, will tell to the guru, why did you take that cancer? And your disciple is as stupid as he was before. You took the lesson from him, and now we'll have to wait that in the next life he again commits violence, he again accumulates negative karma, and then two lifetimes from now, he's going to have a cancer, and hopefully he will not meet with an idiot like you, who will stop his lesson again. No, because that lesson is pending. And he didn't have enough wisdom to learn that lesson. And that is specially happening, that the guru says, but I have taken it. And what have you done? Did you have cancer in the stomach? Uh, no. I did three Oshava diets. I did 30 minutes of pranayama on Manipura every day for one year. And it was gone. Yeah. But the karma itself, which was a karma of pain, it has not been fulfilled. Basically what the guru did was 
that he burned that karma. That is called burning the karma. And it's by the use of Ajna Chakra and an extraordinary willpower, an extraordinary self-discipline, where you do your pranayama, you do your diet, you do your thing, and with your Ajna Chakra you can even burn the karma. It's like the karma is thrown into a fire and it vanishes. It's very good that that negative karma vanished. But the problem is that it didn't serve your customer for his or her lesson. They had to take a lesson. And you took the lesson from them. And I'm glad you didn't get the cancer. But the lesson was lost meanwhile. And therefore, the only way for that to work through the guru is if the guru accepts to have the cancer. And he says, I will suffer and the wisdom will go to my disciple. I make a consecration. That's why Ramakrishna had a cancer. That's why Ramana Maharishi had a cancer. That's why Swami Shivananda had a sort of a diabetes which resulted into some sort of cancer-like disease towards the end of his life. No, it's like... Are all the big yogis condemned to die of cancer or similar things? Only because of this instinct of taking some karma. And then there are two ways. You burn it or you live it out. If you live it out, the lesson will be there. And you say, but the lesson is coming to you. And you already have learned that lesson. So what's the use of the guru? What's the use for, uh, I don't know, Shivana or Ramakrishna, that he should have a cancer? Because he doesn't need a cancer. He has learned all the lessons. He's a great yogi. Yeah, but for the disciples, like he can consecrate the benefits of it. No? So much is this sacrifice going. In the case of Jesus... It was even more terrible. So Jesus endured the pain. You can say, but did he endure the pain for billions of people? We don't know. We cannot evaluate that. It's not within the normal range of experience that we can measure Jesus and be skeptical about it. It is said that somehow the karma which he endured was a karma of a planetary dimension. I want to call your attention very, very clearly that although there are people who got healed of severe diseases by prayer to Jesus or to Shiva or to Krishna or to whoever, nevertheless, the way Jesus acted in taking this karma was not that Jesus came to take away physical karma or normal social family karma. The number of cancers on planet Earth did not diminish after Jesus was born and died. Because Jesus did not come here to heal cancers. He was not Mr. Cancer, the Messiah, the cancer Messiah, who came here just to heal cancers and tuberculosis and hepatitis and what. He, that was not his purpose. He did some physical healing because it involved mercy, compassion, love, forgiveness, goodwill, attracting attention from other people so that they see the power of God, they see the power of these spiritual things. That was not his main goal. His main goal was to generate another state of consciousness, a model 
in which people can live in Anahata most of the time, even if not 100%, but most of the time, people can live in the heart. So Jesus came to give the heart. And also don't forget that Jesus came to give God. Until then, only the Jews in the Western, in Europe and in the Middle East, only the Jews believed in one God. Not even the Greeks or the Romans or anybody as advanced as they were, they couldn't raise their mind to such an idea that there was a one single God on top of everything. No, But Jesus made it possible for the whole Roman Empire. The whole Roman Empire became Christianized because of Jesus and then because of the twelve apostles. And thus, what Jesus did is that Jesus took this blindness that like there is a collective hypnosis which says you are not allowed to see the God above the deities. You see only up to the deities. And you think that that's where things come from. But even the deities are dependent on someone who is above them. And this is a blindness. And Jesus came specially for this spiritual karma. Think that after Jesus, in a matter of three centuries, four centuries, all of Europe, all the Middle East, parts of Asia, including parts of India, parts of Africa, and later in time, many other places, South America, why not, and others, they all of them became monotheistic. All of them. From a religious standpoint, no? It is a progress. Even if the conversions may have been done, sometimes like in the conquest of North America and in South America, the conquest may have been painful and by the force of weapons. But spiritually, this was a huge advancement compared to whatever religious treasures those people had. And thus Jesus came to give that opening that now you can look and see God. You know that there is a God. You know that God sent Jesus on earth. Jesus was a symbol for that God. Like when you saw Jesus, you saw God. You know that he was coming from God. And in that way, your path is open. You can pray. Even the Jews who knew about one God were still quite afraid of that God because that God was wild, was terrible, was, uh, you know, formidable. And Jesus said, if you call him daddy, no, it's and you pray to him, our father who are in heaven. Where is the fear? When you pray to God, and God gives you everything. He's ready to give you everything and has the power to give you everything. So the karma which Jesus came to take was this karma of ignorance. Not the cancer and the hepatitis. Jesus would say there will be a hundred others who will come after me. And one of them will deal with cancer and another one of them will deal with hepatitis. But the first emergency... Is this ignorance, the spiritual karma, the causal karma. And thus, the sacrifice of Jesus is for that. And 
The only way Jesus could do this was having trust. Because people say, how can I have faith? You can have faith because Jesus had a hundred gazillion tons of faith. And even when he was crucified between two thieves, like a miserable criminal, and when he was teased and provoked and tortured and everything, even when he asked for drinks, the fucking Roman soldiers, they gave him vinegar in a sponge. Like, imagine that the torture went like the teasing, the beating, the everything. It went on and on and on. And this was the son of God. This was the man who could say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, you know, he could have simply said, free me. And a hundred angels would have come and broken all his things and would have healed him instantly. You know, like, there was no limit to what this man could do. And he stayed there, humiliated, crushed. In such a way that the people who hated him rejoiced and they said, good, it's good that this false prophet is going to hell. And the people who loved him, who were still a few there, his own mother and so on, they were devastated. Imagine, Mary said, my son is a loser. Now you can all see and I can see that this man, he, he thought he was a great prophet and he kept on telling, babbling big things. And now he's here agonizing on a cross. You can be sure that in that moment, Mary did not understand the dimension of what was happening. She was a Jewish woman, even if a very pure Jewish woman with a big vishuddha and whatever she was, she was a Jewish woman, very pure, who was suffering seeing her child, her son, broken into pieces by the cruel machine of the Roman Empire. And therefore, in the middle of all this, everything is lost. Jesus was the only one who dared to believe that everything is not lost. This is the real test. Not only of pain, because pain you have with Braveheart as well. No, but this it was the thing of seeing everything shattered and he not being allowed. These were the terms of the deal. You don't start playing cities when this is happening. No, it, it was like it was taken away from him. And he stayed there and endured and suffered. And we are being told that even after he died, he did not do pova. It's true, he was religious. He said, in your hands, I commit my soul. These were his last words. No? Like, But everybody can say that. What that makes him Jesus? He just said, oh God, in your hands, I commit my soul. Which is a religious formula, which is, had been practiced before him. You know, that's not it. And even in the afterlife, he died Friday evening. And Saturday evening, after about 30 hours, the resurrection happened. And the resurrection, he didn't do it. It was done by God. Like, Jesus simply twisted the arm of God. He simply said, if you don't do anything, I will not. And God said, I think you will not resist. I think you will be tempted to put an end to this shit. Like you will say before me 
enough is enough. And Jesus did not. Imagine the resistance, the psychological resistance, the faith. Imagine the temptation, falling from being worshipped as a king and as a messiah, falling to just drifting in the bardo, helplessly. His soul was going to the bardos. And it, the clairvoyant saints which followed, they said that they witnessed in Akasha this scene. And they said even the creatures of the bardo, of the Hades, as the Greeks called it, the underworld, they got afraid because it was suddenly like the sun appeared in the underworld. You know, that's a world of darkness. And in this world of darkness, you got somebody like Jesus roaming about. And it's like somebody puts the sunshine in your face. All the spirits of darkness, all the suicidals, all the people who are cursed and who have done black magic, all the people who are living in the darkness for a, a, ten, a year, ten years, a hundred years, or whatever, they were afraid like you would put light under the earth and you would scare the ants and the moles who live under the earth. You know, they could not tolerate the light. And they said, what's this one doing here? Because this one is, we've never seen somebody shining like the sun and coming here. It's not his place, it's a mistake of nature. And then, God simply said, I'm pleased. The game has been played. I've tried. If I continue another 24 hours, he will keep on. No, like I have taken him beyond the desperation, beyond losing everything, beyond the beyond, and he still is there for me. Therefore, enough is enough. And that's why the resurrection is a miracle. It's a miracle which was made by God. And thus, resurrection is a confirmation. And that's why if you take the resurrection away from Jesus, Jesus just becomes a prophet. Other prophets have been martyrized, but they have not been resurrected. That makes a huge difference. It is said about some prophets like Melchizedek and others that they have been bodily taken to heaven. They had the diamond body. They had reached this rainbow body. That was amazing enough if people saw it or didn't see it. And by implication, they realized that the body disappeared. So the body must be dematerialized to heaven. But with Jesus, not only that 40 days later or 50 days later, no, 40 days later, he ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives in eastern Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem. But this resurrection was given as a divine confirmation. That's why when you go to the Judaism, they say probably his disciples stole the body and, um, you know, they hid it, they burned it just to create this legend. That uh, And the Muslims have the other alternative of it. Actually, he was not dead. He had a coma from septicemia or something. They took him down from the cross and then some very good healers, they gave him chamomile tea and then he recovered 
and then they took him with a caravan to Damascus and further east, and he traveled all the way to Kashmir. And he lived in Srinagar, and some of his family rejoined him there, and he died in Srinagar, and there is a tomb in Srinagar, which is probably the tomb of Jesus. Of course, unfortunately, nobody can get inside to take DNA tests to try to see what is what. But what I'm trying to say here is that both in Judaism and in Islam, on the left and on the right, before Jesus and after Jesus, they try to destroy exactly this one thing, that he was resurrected by God. Because if he was resurrected by God, that's the confirmation that he was not just a prophet, that he was an avatar, and he had a planetary mission, and he accomplished his mission, and that he is whatever he is and wherever he is now. Confirming this Christ state of consciousness, he says the extraordinary words after he is resurrected. He speaks with his disciples. The phenomena with Jesus after resurrection, they are very weird. If you want to read in all the four Gospels, exactly that time. Because Mary Magdalene sees him, they find the tomb open, but there is no clear, 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 clear proof. God is so tricky that he could not rub it in the face of everybody, because that would contradict the wall of silence. There needs to be a doubt, so that in the end you will decide with your soul with your heart, if you want to believe this or you don't want to believe this. No, it's up to you. Even the apostles saw him, and it was so dubious for the apostles that Thomas asked to see his scars. He said, I can see you, I'm talking with you, we can hear you, but still I can't believe it, because nobody came back from the dead and then talking and teaching, and it's like... It's too much. No, I don't believe it's you. Maybe you had a twin brother and now the twin brother came and took over or something and you are fooling us. You are playing some stupid game with us. Or what is all this? And thus, the phenomenon of resurrection is subjected, is as close as God could get to rub it in your face. But still, it's not 100% clear And Jesus appears, disappears, appears again, disappears. Then a woman is talking to him. And then she she recognizes him like, I'm sorry, excuse my French. How the fuck would you not recognize from the first three seconds that you are talking with Jesus when you've been with him for one year? Then they said, and then they realized that it was the Lord. That's a bit late after you talk 10 minutes to him and then you say, then they realized it was the Lord. Like, what are you, blind? But Jesus was not looking like Jesus. There was a Maya. There was a transfiguration. Everything was in the bar, though. Remember that he did not allow them to touch him. He did not allow Mary Magdalene to give him a hug to his feet, to his legs. No, he said, touch me not. Because I am in a period. And that lasted for 40 days. 
And after 40 days, he went. He raised to heaven. But why after 40 days? Was Jesus subjected to the laws of Bardo? All the nature is subjected to the laws of death and Bardo. And if Jesus didn't want to obey to that, then he had to perform further miracles, more miracles on top of the miracles which had already been done. And there was not the will of God. God did not want more miracles. God thought that enough miracles had been done so that those who will be awakened will be awakened. And for the rest of the world, there is a doubt. Did it happen? Did it not happen? And that's as far as it can go. It cannot go further than this as long as you are a human being. When you go to Shambhala, you will see that the masters from Shambhala do not have any doubt. Swami Shivananda had no doubt that Jesus had been resurrected. Paramahamsa Yogananda or Ramakrishna, they did not have any doubt about Jesus being resurrected. Therefore, once you surpass a certain spiritual level, there is no more doubt because there is no need to hide these things from you. But as long as you didn't pass certain tests, there is always a question mark there. That Jesus was crucified. He was crucified because he inaugurated a new epoch in the spiritual history of mankind. Where monotheism became possible not only for the Jews, but for the whole mankind. Because that's one of Jesus says, now all the power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, like I am King Jesus. And second, he says, go to all the nations of the world and make disciples in my name. Teach them, like he says, go to the Romans, go to the Greeks, go to the Gauls, go to the Brits. Those are far, far away from the Jewish culture. They are not the Jewish culture anymore. It's far, far away. Thomas went all the way to India and he taught in Kerala. You know, he taught this to in he he converted Indians, Hindus, to Christian spirituality. No, like go everywhere, it's open for everybody. There were people who converted people to Christianity in Tibet, in Japan, in Polynesia, for God's sake, in New Zealand, the Maori cultures, and others and others, everywhere, in the Maya and Inca empires of Central America and South America, everywhere. There was no more limit to where this can go. And thus, Jesus became the Christ consciousness. He was confirmed, and together with the resurrection, God gave him also the universal power, like a spirit like you deserves to have universal power. You will not be Genghis Khan. You will not be a tyrant. You, you can be the virtual king of this planet because you have proven yourself to be compassionate to the last drop of blood, to the last, and to have faith, to keep your faith, and all that. That's the Christ consciousness. And that is the importance of the resurrection. 
the resurrection is the enough is enough from God. And it's the confirmation that Jesus passed a super important and probably the biggest spiritual test that we are going to see in our lifetimes, uh, probably in the recent history of this planet. I don't know. I cannot say if in Satya Yuga there has been some spirit incarnated, some Vishnu incarnation or something, which had been subjected to tests even bigger than this. Probably not. In Kali Yuga, unfortunately, these tests are dirty. They are painful. They are ugly. I wish I would have seen a spiritual test like Ramakrishna's test or others, but even Ramakrishna died of a cancer. Even Milarepa, after he spent 40 years in a cave, he was poisoned by an imbecile and he apparently died poisoned, although the poison was not having any effect on his body if he didn't want to let it have effect on his body. And the story could continue. In Kali Yuga, the history of the world continues, the love of God continues, evolution continues, people's love and aspiration for God continues, but very often these things are dirty in the meaning that they are stained with blood and with pain and other such things. Of course, we know that further on, Jesus raised physically to heaven in 40 days after the Easter. So he was already at the level of the ultimate. And it is interesting that the same thing happened to Virgin Mary. A few years later, I don't know how many years later, Virgin Mary passed away somewhere in the south of the old city of Jerusalem. There is a small, there is a small church in a valley immediately under the walls of Jerusalem. That's the alleged place where she has passed away. And there, there was no body. They, she died in the evening and in the morning the body had dematerialized. And there is a monument, there is a place in the church where they say this is where the body went to heaven. No? So both for Jesus and for Mary, for others in uh, less vis visible ways, we had this phenomenon. And again, I'm saying to understand that that is what, why Jesus became the Christ. He took the spiritual karma of mankind upon himself. So remember, if he would have taken cancer, he should have felt the pain of gazillions of cancers, summed up. That he didn't do. I'm not saying he couldn't have done, but it was not in his to-do list. But imagine that he has taken the ignorance, the pain, the fact that people do not believe in God and they do not trust in God, and he has taken that Imagine how much doubt, how much depression, what a valley of darkness must have been in the soul of that person no? when he went, when he was captured, tortured, murdered, buried, drifting in the underworld, and then being resurrected 
in an act of glory. And how glorious that act was compared to all the misery which had happened in the last 48 hours ever since, or whatever, 60 hours ever since he had been apprehended and beaten and mocked and judged and rejudged and condemned and all that. That's why this sacrifice of Jesus is like a white magic. It's like redeeming humanity. It's like bringing something very precious because the Jews had discovered God. Abraham and the prophets had discovered God. And God said, okay, you among many nations are the ones who know the secret, who have been able to see beyond appearances. And I give you a covenant that you should sacrifice lambs, that you should do the scapegoat ritual, that you should cut the foreskin of the boys and all that as a sign of the fact that you are my people. And then Jesus comes and he says, I shall give you a new covenant. That's why the Bible is the old covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. There is a new one when Jesus is coming. It's true that many of the Orthodox Jews, they could not accept that. The Jewish society is divided in people who still believe in the old Judaism, people who don't care about religion, atheistic people, and there are a few people among Jews who love Jesus because they understood that he was the next step. And first of all, for them, for them as a nation, as the first chosen ones by God. And therefore, Jesus brought this to everybody. He said, now I bring you a new covenant. There is the next step. And now the covenant is this. You don't take lambs to the temple. You just go to a ceremony every Sunday. And in that ceremony, you consecrate the bread and the wine as being my blood and my my flesh and my blood. And you eat it. And in this way, you commune with me. It's like I'm coming in your body. It's like I'm a graft. Like in the agriculture where you put a graft on a tree and that tree becomes modified because of that graft. I have a graft which is coming from the bread and wine from the flesh and blood and that is that Jesus lives in you, through you because he knows that he is part of you. You don't know very well that he is part of you. When you study Kashmiri Shaivism you understand, hey wait a second, of course God is in me I am in God, I am God, God is here, and all it takes is not only to accept this intellectually, but to experience it, to live it, and to have that experience. So, the resurrection is very, very, a very, very wonderful thing, unique It did not happen. Again, symbolic resurrection of Osiris and I don't know what other deities of mythology or resurrection of the fact that some people had been dead and they were in clinical death and they came back or whatever other phenomena. This has happened. But the resurrection through the will of God, like, come on, enough is enough with an angel coming and shining, bam, and removing the tombstone and doing that, 
this has not happened. This is quite unique, and this is what makes Jesus unique, and we want to celebrate that. So that's why on the Saturday evening, corresponding to midnight, we don't know if it was midnight, we just know that it was nighttime and the Roman soldiers were sleeping because they were a bunch of hooligans who had been drinking too much and they were just didn't care about anything, and they were sleeping, and while they were sleeping, this light this thing happened. So it could very well have been at midnight. Usually it's celebrated at midnight in the Christian countries, Saturday to Sunday. And then Sunday morning, it's basically the Easter day. Here in Agama, we do a Easter day meditation at 12 o'clock on Sunday. We do not have anything organized because of the logistics and the way things are now. We do not have anything organized for midnight, going at midnight at the Ganesha Hall and doing a meditation. And then if it's not, wait a second, it's midnight in Jerusalem or midnight in Bangkok? Because if it's midnight in Jerusalem, then we are going to have to do this at five o'clock in the morning here or God knows what. And then it's again, unfortunately, on this time zone where we live, it's very difficult to organize this if any one of you wants. But if not, I can guarantee to you, if you do a meditation about the resurrection of Christ Saturday evening at 10 o'clock, which is not too late, it will still work because we're talking about a phenomenon which happened in the darkness, in the night, whenever God considered it fit. And thus you can invoke it. This meditation on the resurrection of Christ it's more like you would have a meditation in Akasha. Like I want to look back in time in Akasha to see that incredible moment, to be there like a fly on the wall, to be there to assist like what happened when God decided to kick hard and to do this thing and what was the energy of that resurrection, what was the energy through which God gives light and life and everything the energy of creation, the energy of salvation. And uh, then, as you know, additionally on the Orthodox Easter, we have a meditation which is around 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock, somewhere. Be- it's a process which happens between 12 to 2 o'clock. Let's see if this year we could get it live, because now it's being broadcasted live over the Internet, and I hope it will be this year as well. And uh, basically, that's the holy fire ceremony about which I do not have the time to speak tonight. I will have to make a special recording for that. Uh, That is a miracle which still happens every year and which we hope it will happen this year as well. So on this Easter time, we have like three possible maximums. The holy fire ceremony, which corresponds to somewhere like 1 p.m., Jerusalem time, whatever time that is here. Night time, Saturday between Sunday, whichever hour is good, either you go 10 o'clock or you go midnight or you go 5 o'clock in the morning or whatever, it's still okay. And then, uh, last but not least, the Easter day meditation at 12 o'clock. I put it at 12 o'clock because it's convenient for everybody. It's a good time. Everybody can come and do that meditation. But the most important thing is to connect with Christ because resurrection 
is the glory of Christ. Resurrection is the time when God said, yes, no more fucking around, no more jokes. Yes, enough is enough. Yes, you know, like the doubt was there. But for those who were there, the doubt was no more. Especially, again, for Jesus himself, then he surrendered and he won everything through this surrender. So, this is how we understand the Christ consciousness. We understand the Christ consciousness as the consciousness which gives itself to the whole world, which is ready to sacrifice for the whole world, because it knows practically that it is one with the whole world, and it is more than the spiritual aspiration, or more than the fact that you just long to reach nirvana because you are afraid of old age, pain, death, and all the woes of life, and you want to reach to a condition in which you are insulated from all the trouble in the universe. This is more, and that more means to give back to the world, to return back to the world. That much about the resurrection of Christ, and um, the thing about the holy fire, we'll see how we get to do that. Thank you all for joining. Now we have to stop because the hour is five minutes past what i aiming to do. We are still in curfew, and I want to give you time to go home. Thank you all for that.